So we are starting a new series today, new term, new series, and uh, we are going to be starting at the beginning of Jonah. Uh, if you have uh, the church Bibles, it's page 928. Uh, otherwise, use whatever device you want. Seems worth waiting for you to get there because we've only got three verses we're reading today. Blink and you'll miss it. Jonah 1, 1 to 3. Jonah flees from the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Come to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. As Phil, our honorary 20, comes up, uh, let me pray for him. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for Phil. We thank you for all the preparation uh, that's gone into this morning's sermon. Uh, We thank you for the way that you've spoken to him. And we lift him up before you Uh, now. Would you anoint his lips? And also be preparing our own hearts and minds as we take on board what you have to say to us. Uh, So we thank you for this time where we get to hear from your words. May it take a a deep bed within our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Phil. It's good at, uh, at the beginning of a new academic year to begin a new series in a new book, and it's, it's, uh, it's Jonah. We're going to be looking at Jonah over the next few weeks. And I'd like to start by playing a word association game, a game where you say a word or, or a name, and then other people have to respond with the first word that comes into their minds. Uh, so, for example, if I said Voldemort, you would say... Harry Potter, yes. I can see we're all sharp this morning. Uh, Tower Bridge. London, yes, good, good, love it. Brussels sprouts. Christmas, yeah, something like that. Uh, if I said um, Jonah. Whale, yes, well done, good. I was hoping we'd go there, actually. Um, because when we say the word Jonah, we, we, we hear in our heads kind of whale or fish. And it's no wonder, because the story of Jonah and the whale is really exciting. When we look at the book of Jonah, though, this whale or this fish only makes an appearance for a couple of verses. Which tells us, actually, when you look at the book of Jonah... There's got to be a lot more to the book than a man being swallowed and vomited up by a large sea creature. So if the Bible tells us the book of Jonah is not just about Jonah being swallowed by a fish, then what is it about? Broadly speaking, it's a book about rebellion, a prophet who runs away from God. It's a book about compassion. The God who runs after his prophet and his people. And a book, uh, uh, and, and a book about love. God's relentless, unquenchable love for his children. 
We're going to spend this morning looking at the first three verses of this book and launching ourselves into the story. But as we do this, we'll hopefully be introduced to these larger themes that run through the whole book. And my prayer is that as we look at Jonah, as we look at his world, as we look at God, we'll begin to see how similar this circumstance and these responses to God and this heart is to our own. Now, before I continue, am I cutting out a lot? No, I'm just, I'm just hearing that in my own head. Good? Lovely. Okay. So let's start with the context. We're in the begin, at the beginning of a book. We're going to start with the context. It's helpful to understand the story with, with a historical picture. So Jonah appears in the Bible around 785 BC. He's a prophet to a country called Israel that had once been part of the greater kingdom of Israel. So around 250 years before Jonah, a great King Solomon had ruled that greater kingdom of Israel, and that kingdom had prospered both physically and spiritually. However, since Solomon's times, that kingdom had split into two countries. The southern country was called Judah. It was small. The larger one was called Israel. It kept that name, and it was a lot bigger. Essentially, the history of the kingdom of Israel is a record of how earthly kings and kingdoms fail and refuse to follow the living God. In the Bible, Jonah is first mentioned in the history book of two kings, 2 Kings chapter 14, and he's a prophet to that northern kingdom, Israel. And this is what's recorded about his ministry. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, began to reign in Israel. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. What you get in the, in the Old Testament history books is a comment about whether a king followed or didn't follow the Lord. So that's what happens here. Jonah preaches the word of the Lord under a king who is evil. However, under this evil king, the borders of Israel from Libo Hamath were restored as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of, law, of the Lord, the God of Israel, which was spoken by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet. So we read here that for Israel, the good days were back. Jonah was riding a nationalistic wave. God was blessing the people of Israel with peace and prosperity, with expanding borders in spite of them having an evil king. And Jonah had called it all. God had spoken to Jonah. Jonah prophesied. And everything that Jonah prophesied had come true. So we join the action in Jonah chapter 1 in the same situation. And in the light of the good place he and Israel were in, Imagine what's going through Jonah's mind when the word of the Lord comes to him. So turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to read what it says there. And bear in mind, this is in the midst of nationalistic fervor. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness had come up before me, has come up before me. And it brings us to our first point of our passage this morning, which is this, God's word is shocking. 
God's word is shocking. This was a shocking command in verse 1 because God's word was going to another nation, not Israel. It was a shocking command because God was effectively not just taking his word to these people, but offering an olive branch. Let me just explain that a little bit. Nineveh, at the time, was making the headlines for all the wrong reasons. It was the capital city of the most aggressive, warmongering people, the Assyrians. Nineveh was exactly as God describes it in verse 2, evil beyond evil. Ancient historians said that the Assyrian Empire ruled by the kind of terror that would make the atrocities of Islamic State look like child's play. And when you go through the accounts of the the Assyrian atrocities, they are truly, truly dreadful. So to hear this command to take God's word to the Ninevites, Jonah would have spat his tea out in surprise. They were Israel's tormentors. They were regularly invading. They were regularly murdering and continually oppressing God's people. The command goes against the grain of of all that Jonah had prophesied up to this point. Rather than victory over God's enemies, God was sending his, his word to God's enemies. And ultimately, that's a word that would, would, would proclaim deliverance to the people of, of Nineveh. Jonah knows that. So chapter 4, verse 2, flip, flip over the page in your Bibles to chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah, Jonah complains to God. The reason why I made haste to flee to Tarshish is because I knew you are a gracious God, a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. In other words, Jonah knew God's word to the Ninevites was a warning of God's coming judgment and an offer of forgiveness if they repented. So the command is a shock to him. And it makes us wonder, why does God, in the middle of blessing his people, suddenly turn to bless other nations who were far more wicked? What does God want Jonah and us, the readers of this account, this account to know about him and to realize about ourselves? Verse 2 introduces the shock of God's word to Jonah. But the command also reminds the reader of another theme in the book. And that's the theme of God's love. And that's the, 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 point, the second point I want to, uh, uh, to make this morning. God's love is extraordinary. God's love is extraordinary. Verse 2, as well as being a shock to Jonah, is also a reminder that, God's, that God promised he would one day save all nations. Again, when you look at the history of Israel in the Bible, it's very clear that God had promised Israel that one day, through the nation of Israel, God would bless the nations with his salvation. One day, God God promised that uh, uh, people from every tribe and tongue and nation would know God and love him personally for themselves. And it means that this command in verse 2 is a reminder to Jonah that in the midst of nationalistic fervor, God's salvation, his great expression of love for people is also for non-Jews. God's desire was to reveal his compassion and his love, his character to them too, to tell them that he is a holy God and that he loves them deeply as well. 
And I have to confess, sometimes I skip over that. Sometimes it's just a, it just kind of comes off pat in, in my own mind, in my own thinking, in my own quiet times. God, uh, God loves me. And I don't reflect on the enormity of that statement. That statement that God loves this world. It, it's unusual. It's massive. It's dynamic. To consider how God's love should be shared to us is a wonderment. You see, when we say God is love, we have to remember that God exists in love. God exists in a constant selfless expression of affection for and selfless action between the Godhead. Love is constantly expressed between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's been the, the, the state of God since before the creation of the world. And we're, a, we're privileged to see a glimpse of it at Jesus' baptism. At Jesus' baptism, we're shown a holy revelation of the love of the Godhead. God the, the Son publicly shows his love for the Father by identifying with humanity and submitting to the Father's will. That's God's expression of love for the Father. God the Son's expression of love for God the Father. And then you have God's voice, God the Father's voice. This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. It's a great condescension of revelation. God comes into this world and audibly speaks so his created beings can hear of his love for the Son. God's voice booms. I love this man. I love my son. And God the Holy Spirit rests on Jesus and fills God the Son with his power and authority because he loves. So God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love, love deeply, emotively, expressively, sacrificially. And the extraordinary thing about God's love is that God invites us to experience it. God does not need us. God does not, he isn't dependent on, on us to know about his love because his love has existed before the, since before the creation of the world. And, and here's the beautiful thing. He shares it. Those of us who know the love of God in our hearts. It's a mind-blowing concept. B- because it's not as if we deserve that knowledge. It's not as if God is dependent on us to somehow be amazed at it and, 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 and add to it. No, no, God's love is a total invitation to created beings to understand the depths and, and the beauty and the, the mind-blowingness of it. Where am I going with this in Jonah? What, what verse 2 reminds Jonah that God loves this world. Go, Jonah. Take my word to a lost people whom I love. Because inherent in that word to the lost is an invitation to know my love. And what a dynamic, mind-blowing love it is. And what a privilege it is to have 
the God of this universe express it towards created beings like ourselves. It's humbling to realize that he has extended his love towards sinners like the Ninevites and sinners like ourselves. God's love is extraordinary. And Jonah's Jonah's story reminds us of it. It's incredible, isn't it? But as well as showing us the extraordinary love of God, uh, these few verses teach us that God is not who we expect. Verse 2 also says to Jonah, do you know, Jonah, God's not a caricature. He's not kind of a one-dimensional cartoon where he's the God who smites the baddies and blesses the goodies. Like Jonah and his countrymen were, were, were kind of imagining. The real God who turns up to Jonah, by that, the one who speaks to him and challenges him and teaches him and brings him on a journey, this God, this God who turns up, is not the God who we expect. And that's the second point. God is not the God who we expect. He's not who we expect. When God turns up, when he speaks to us, when he reveals himself to us, when he challenges us, ultimately he challenges our expectations of him. And often he's the God we don't want. Why? Because we constantly have sinful expectations of God, just like Jonah had. And when we let those sinful expectations of God loose, actually what we find is God is a tool for us. He does what we want him to do. And when he doesn't want what we want him to do, well then he's a means to an end rather than the end in itself. And it's what we see here in verse 2. When God speaks to Jonah, he exposes Jonah's wrong expectations of God. When God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah is offended on so many levels. And he's offended because of what he expects of God. What he wanted of God was not what God was telling him to do. I don't know how you relate to that. When God shows us our shortcomings through his word or through other Christians, when he directly challenges our expectations, it's not often that we like it or submit to it. So often we'll resent God's challenge or shuffle, or shuffle away from his word or, or just go, oh, yeah, shrug it off. When things go wrong or when we're struggling to understand a situation, we end up blaming God because our expectations of God are wrong. We end up saying things like this, but God, I did X, Y, and Z for you, so why have you let this happen to me? Like Jonah does here, we can get upset when God doesn't do what we expect him to do. Perhaps we're toying with the idea of a non-Christian boyfriend or girlfriend. And we'll reason it, we'll justify it, we'll say, oh, it's okay. Because God wants me to be happy. And we'll shuffle away those verses in the Bible, the challenge of the Bible that says, do you know, that relationship will pull you away from serving the gospel. Perhaps we've been given 
the challenge to give up more time to the work of the gospel. And it's too much. And we just say, oh, do you know what? I'm too busy for that. There are many situations in our lives, in our experience, where God turns up when he challenges us through his word or through other Christians to sacrifice our pride, our money, our time, our comfort, or our circumstances. And we have to ask that question, will I change? Or will I resent God's challenge? You know, Jonah's response was to resent God's challenge. And that brings us to the next part of the passage this morning, which explores another big theme of the book. And it's simply this, that God's prophet runs. God's prophet runs. You see, in spite of God's word coming to Jonah, his response is to run away. His his expectations are challenged. And he goes, "I, I don't want that kind of God. I I, I don't believe in that kind of God. And he runs. Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And why did he do this? Well, remember in chapter 4, verse 2, we're told exactly why. Jonah prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah ran away because he knew what God's word to the evil Ninevites really meant. It meant that God was going to change them and reveal to them the power of his word and bring them to repentance. And in his mind... He had a problem with that. He thought the Assyrians deserved God's judgment and hell. Nothing less. He wanted justice, not mercy. And that's why he ran. In verse, verse 3 in the ESV, uh, makes it clearer. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he's not fleeing physically from the Lord. He's fleeing from the Lord's presence. He's basically saying, I break fellowship with you, God. He understands he can't physically run from God. He knows God is sovereign, but he's telling God he wants nothing to do with God anymore. He's disgusted about the Ninevite invitation. Doing God's will is a stench to Jonah. And that's why he has a strop. That's why he, do, he goes in exactly the opposite direction. There's a little PowerPoint map thing. Oh. So, oh, there we go. Can we have the other arrow? There, yeah, there we go. Lovely. So, um, so the, the bottom arrow is where he, he began in, in Israel. And he gets a ship from Joppa. Nineveh's in completely the opposite direction. Can you see that? Tarshish is like Spain direction. Actually, he's being called more to the Iraq direction, modern-day Iraq. It's a complete hissy fit. I can remember having a a, a hissy fit of this proportion when I was about four. I I can't remember what it was about. I had a big argument with my parents, and and it finished with me storming out of the room, uh, going upstairs, grabbing my blanket dramatically off my bed, and storming into the garden. 
And I realized that I, I, I was a bit little for the world. So I, I stropped in the only direction I could find, which was the dog house at the bottom of the garden, which stank and smelt of dog. Uh, and, and I sat on top of the dog house with my blanket wrapped around me, uh, refusing point blank to listen to my parents and resenting them for telling me what to do. I, it, it, it sticks in my head. The same is happening to Jonah here. He knows he can't actually run from God's hand, but he's protesting. He's dropping down to the bottom of the garden, to the doghouse, and willfully disobeying God's word. When we run from God, it's because we reject who God is. When we run from God, we resent God for not doing God our way. And there are a couple of ways that this book shows us how we do it. The first way that Jonah runs from God is by being very bad. Jonah deliberately and clearly rejects God's word and goes his own way, literally the opposite direction, as we see in verse 3. Jonah tells God that he will make the rules and he will live without God as the master of his own fate and captain, as it were, of his own ship. In chapter 1, verse 3, the way Jonah rejects God is by rebelling against his word and running from it. But the second way that Jonah runs from God is by being very good. So at the beginning of chapter 3, God's word once more comes to Jonah, and this time Jonah responds by obeying God and taking God's word to the Ninevites as commanded. But the truth is, he's still running from God because his expectation of God has not changed. He still wants the Ninevites judged and damned. So just as Jonah ran to Tarshish, because he didn't want the grace of God to be shown to the enemies of Israel. At the beginning of chapter 4, he has another hissy fit, because God has shown grace to God's enemy, to, to his enemies. In other words, in chapter 1, verse 3, in chapter 4, Jonah resents God, because God is not doing God the way that Jonah wanted him to do God. And that's what we're like when we disobey him. In the second half of the book, Jonah tells a very honest story. He wasn't obeying God for the sake of obeying God. He wasn't obeying God out of a relationship. He was obeying God in order to get what he wanted from God, death to his enemies. And I don't know how many of us relate to either of these ways of running from God. It might be that we're running from God through the pursuit of many and persistent sins. But we're too proud or scared to take them to God and genuinely lay them out before him and seek his forgiveness. 
It might be that we are running from God by being very bad and, and we don't know how to get out of it or we're so, so precious about those sins that, that we just want to cling on to them. The challenge here for Jonah, for us, is to talk to God because God is talking to us continually and saying those sins are running away from, are you running away from me? Will you listen? Please talk to God if that's you. It might be that we're running from God by being very good. By, pe- by keeping God's laws. But only doing that as far as it's convenient to us. It's the same attitude but with a different complexion. I will obey God because I want to control God. If that's you again, talk to God because he's speaking to us and highlighting our sins and saying, will you be my child? I guess that brings us to the last point I want to make on this passage, which that no matter how hard or fast we run from God, God's love runs further still. So these opening few verses have set up the story for us. They've given us a glimpse into the wider themes of the book. We've seen how shocking God's word is, how extraordinary God's love is, how God is not who we expect and how easy it is to run from him. And as we study this book together over the next few weeks, we'll explore these themes themes further and come back again and again and again to this final big truth of the book. That no matter how we are running from God or how hard we are running from God, God is God and we'll never be able to shake God off by running from him. His love will run further than we can ever imagine. How do we know this? Because Jonah writes the book. And when you think about it, no one in their right mind would write a book that catalogues their own failures, their own strops down to the bottom of the garden. No one would dare say all these horrible things about themselves, but Jonah does. And it tells us that because we have this book, because it's so personal, Jonah must have realized eventually that God loves us. God loves us. And no matter how long or far or hard we run from God, he will run after us and teach us about his love. And the existence of the book tells us that at some point, I love it because if you read it through, I can encourage you to read it through this week. The existence of the book tells us that eventually, although it's not written down or or told how or when, eventually Jonah gets it and he stops running from God and he allows the love of God to embrace him and change him and humble him to the extent that he's honest. I did this, says Jonah. 
This was me, says Jonah. And God wants us to be like him. God wants us to understand where he eventually ended up. And my prayer is that as we study this book, that like Jonah, we would understand the relentless love of God that runs further than we could ever imagine. And that no matter how hard or fast we've run from God, it's his love that will run further still and further than we could ever imagine. It's a great book. It's a great revelation of the love of God for sinners like us. As we read it, let's revel in that love. Let's allow that love to challenge us, to challenge our expectations, and to challenge us to stop running from him, just like it did to Jonah. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we praise you and worship you that you love And your extraordinary love is revealed in this world to sinners like us. We worship you that you have invited us in a mystery, in an incomprehensible way to experience and engage with the love of God the Father for God the Son, for God the Holy Spirit, for God the Father, an eternal, eternal unending love that is going on and being expressed in the Godhead and we are able to know it personally. Father God, we confess to you that we are runners from your love and not runners to your love by nature. We confess to you how marvelous it is that you will not stop running to bring us back to yourself. Forgive us, Lord God, when in our, our wrongful expectations we have our strops and we make our demands. May we submit to your word and humbly be won by the extent of and the depths of and the marvels of your love for us. Just like Jonah was just like many brothers and sisters in this world are. Lord God, teach us, we pray, by your word, to humbly run to you for the glory of your name. Amen.